Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. We thank you, God, for your presence here. We thank you for the work that you have done, the work that you are doing, the love that you are pouring out. And we pray that in this moment we might receive your love, we might hear of your love, we might walk in your love. Knowing the words that I've prepared, Father, I pray that they would be the words of your spirit but anything that's not of your spirit would fall away, that we might receive what is from you and you alone. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Over the last couple of years, I've uh, taken up uh, golf. Now, I know I've spoken about golf probably, I don't know how long ago it was, but I've been more intentional and more deliberate. Uh, So everything from this point on, uh, the stories that I have about golf, I actually blame May's fiancé for, Jack, Uh, because Jack has kind of uh, encouraged me along the way a little bit more. We've gone out and played whenever he comes up to Horsham. Uh, Occasionally when I'm down in Melbourne, we go for a hit of golf together, and it's all his fault. Um, I did think about bringing my golf clubs onto the uh, platform with me, Uh, and demonstrating for you, uh, but I also felt like knowing my golf game, that could be really dangerous. Uh, Not for me, but for you. Um, You know, even if I got those plastic golf balls that, you know, aren't meant to hurt or don't fly through the air, I would have hurt someone. Um, Guaranteed, just because that would have happened today. Uh, Now, the thing about golf is uh, it actually forces me to focus on one thing. Um, focus, I can put everything else out, I can go and enjoy the fresh air. In the morning, it's nice and crisp, it's, the sun's rising, uh, the fog clears, or there's a bit of warmth during the summer, it's fantastic. In the late afternoon, you can feel the air just getting a little bit quieter. Um, and golf is a real art form. Much like coffee making, actually. It's a real art to coffee and golf. Um, Golf, you have this intent and this mindset that all you've got to do is hit the ball. But the problem with me, and I was reminded this week, that one of the tasks that I like to have is hit the ball as hard as you possibly can. Uh, There's something incredibly satisfying. Some of you are looking at me like, what are you? Where are you? I'm on a golf course. Come with me. Um, So, but that's actually not... The challenge of golf, there's no point trying to hit the ball as hard as you possibly can because it will not work. Your body will be out, the rhythm, the swing, everything gets out of whack. But even in the midst of all this challenge, more recently I've updated a few golf clubs, I've bought a new bag and buggy, I've even got the right kind of clothes. I mean, I look the part. (laughs) I look the part. I used to laugh at those people who look the part and would play terrible golf. Now I'm one of those people. Um, Now, but the thing about golf is that I've worked out and talking to a number of golfers who have played for a number of years, if you go and play golf, if you play, you know, one or two good shots or if you play one or two good holes, that's enough for you to go back again. 
So this is kind of my philosophy in golf, although it's slightly frustrating because, you know, I like to improve, I like to get better. I mean, I've had golf lessons for crying out loud. I, know, I should know how to play the game. Despite the fact we all, I know the objective, I should know how to play the game. So after a couple of rough days, I do like to go out and have a, a round of golf or nine holes of golf. I find that helps clear my head and slow my spirit down a little bit. But there's a couple of times more recently where I've had golf balls going all over the course. Like some, I've got a natural slice, which means it curves around to the right, hence why I didn't bring golf clubs and golf balls into this space, because there's no guarantee if I aim the ball down there, that's where it's going to go. Every now and then, it goes this way, and every now and then, I just miss it completely. It's a beautiful game. It's a beautiful game. And, but the thing is, because I've had lessons, because I've been playing for a little while, because I've listened to other people, because I've received some coaching, I kind of think I know how I should do it. But the problem is, when I go out and I'm having a shocking game of golf, I find myself questioning what I am doing wrong, why can't I get this right, which then somehow quickly escalates into, why can't I get anything right? Now, I'm not looking for your analysis. I'm not looking for your sympathy. I'm not looking for any comfort. I'm okay. Trust me. Um, I'm generally okay, and I've got help where I need help. But I hope you're getting the point. Like, I don't, maybe you have got some skills, and I'm still learning some skills. You think at 50 you're getting this worked out, but I'm working out that there's still more to work out. And so I've found myself down the course this week and hitting some golf balls, chasing golf balls quite literally, losing golf balls. It's an expensive sport too, golf is. Don't tell Andrea. Um, that, um, and I thought, why can't I work this out? Which became, I don't seem to be able to work anything out, which became, you're not much of a person, are you, Simon? Have you ever felt like that? where the things that you thought you would be able to achieve, the things that you should be able to achieve, or the things that you feel you should be able to achieve, quickly snowball into something like, I'm not really a very good person. I haven't really done much. See, our value often depends on what we do. Directly, our value is directly tied to what we achieve. And if we're not sure about that, consider what we're told from a young age. We tell our children to behave, and often we tell our children to behave because we don't want to be embarrassed as parents. And then we tell our children as they grow up, or they're being told, that they have to decide what their career is. From what? Year eight? They have to start thinking about what subjects they're going to do through their schools, how they present themselves, what they should look. Have your life sorted out by the time you're 14. And I'm standing here talking about not having my life sorted out at 50. And then we get a job and we think maybe we're starting to achieve something and we're told we need to save for the Australian dream. Buy the house. Get the car. And then we're not, once we've got that sorted out, we're told we should work out what our retirement fund should look like. And do you know what your retirement fund and how long that will last for? Just saying, just, you know, don't think about that now because we're asking for the Holy Spirit to convict us. And then what we're told in our retirement is, you've lived a good life, you can now do whatever you like. You've worked hard for other people, you now do what you like. Our value... <laughs> See, you thought this was just about golf. Our value is so often tied to what we achieve or what we're told we should achieve to be considered loved or successful. 
Um, we're often afraid to slow down and explore our emotions because we don't know who we are if we're not achieving something or if we're not doing something. We're told or we, we have convinced ourselves that our feelings aren't important. We're told just to get on with it. More recently, over the last couple of years, I keep hearing it is what it is. Yep, it might be. Tell me how you're feeling about that. But we say it is what it is because that kind of somehow puts a full stop on the conversation. Don't go any further, Simon. It just is what it is and that's all I've got. Oh, no. <laughs> but we're saying, I feel like we're saying it is what it is because it becomes the defense to bat away disappointment, anger, sadness or frustration. And if it is what it is and we're okay with what it is, why are we seeing an increased in suicides amongst our youth and young adults? And if it is what it is and we're okay with it is what it is, why are we seeing our health services overwhelmed by mental health issues? And if it is what it is and we're okay with it is what it is, why are we seeing millions and billions of dollars spent in this area on a constant basis without actually any improvement, it seems. Well, the other thing that we might do is we dismiss how we feel by over-spiritualising it. So yeah, it is what it is, but you know, God's in control. Now there's a truth to that. God is at work. Yes, there is a truth to that. But that doesn't... Um, and God, I don't think, wants to dismiss or ignore how we might be feeling in the midst of that. But often we will because we'll say, well, God is in control, God's working it out, and I'm just here. Well, that's okay, but if, we are made, if God has made us in his image, and if he has made us for his glory, and somehow then all of a sudden we have to ignore, suppress, or cast aside all of our emotions how we might be feeling about circumstances or things or events or people, then how do we give glory to God as people made in his image? If God has given us these emotions, if God has given us these feelings to be able to express and work out and navigate through, and we say, it is what it is, how are we giving glory to God in that? Ephesians chapter two, uh, 4 sorry, uh, says this, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. Now I love this because I think there's actually some personal responsibility that we have to take. There's some action that we have to take. See, I think we actually sometimes put a lot of things on God that actually he's not responsible for. God's done the work. God has brought the healing. There is no doubt. He's completed that victory, but he actually invites us into the work. Which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Here's the cloak that God has. If you take off the old cloak, you know, still we have to step into that. We have to receive that. 
And I, so I think this is, this is what we're looking at. What does it look like to uh, put on our new self, to be created in the image of God and to walk in his ways? And hence why we're doing this series, uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Uh, and we trust that as we've done week one on a Sunday afternoon, Tuesday night, that it's been a real blessing and an encouragement and the conversations continue over the next few weeks. Pete Scazzaro writes this in his book. Awareness of self and your relationship with God are intricately linked. The challenge to set our, shed our old false self in order to live authentically in our new true self strikes at the very core of authentic spirituality. To know who we are, to know who we are in relationship with God, where we don't have to pretend with God or with anyone else, is one of the great challenges in life. Do you remember the old acronym um, JOY? If you, if, do you remember the old acronym and what it stood for in Sunday school? Who remembers that? Does anyone remember it? What was it? Sorry? Yep. 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 Jesus first, others next, and then yourself. Joy. This is how you experience joy. We put Jesus first, then we think about others, and then we just think about ourselves. Now, there is, again, some truth to this, because even Paul writes to the early church and he says, consider the needs of others above your own. And so there is some truth to that. My question is, how does that line up with the greatest commandments that Jesus gives us? When Jesus says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And he's, after he's asked, what is the most important commandment? What is the most significant commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Yep. No worries. That's why I go to church. That's why I read the Bible. It's actually a bit more than that, just... The second is this, love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. The only way that we can actually love and engage with our neighbour well is if we know ourselves well. But that becomes slightly confronting. See, we're okay with loving God. Which often means for many people, and historically has meant if I serve God, if I do good for God, if I read my Bible, if I attend worship, if I listen to worship songs, if I don't live how the rest of the world lives, I'm loving the Lord my God with all my heart. I can serve others, but myself... And actually, there might even be a shift, and I think we're struggling with this tension at the moment because we might even say, and I think at the moment, as I've said before, we're actually even more withdrawing into ourselves and then ignoring others sometimes. And so we haven't found the right kind of tension, the right kind of uh, way or the um, rhythm in this. And so this is a huge challenge. How do we love ourselves well out of our relationship with God, knowing who we are in God, that we can love our neighbours well out of who God is? Even further to that, see, we will say, I serve and love others. We've talked about sacrifice. We've called about, talked about dying to self. Um, and there's this confusion, I think, between achievement and sacrifice. Let, let me see if um, maybe you've heard some of these things or asked these questions even. Do you know what I have done for the church? 
you know the hours that I've given to serve them? Do you know how much I've given up? Do you know the people that I've cared for? Do you know the money that I've donated? Have you heard those statements? So our service with those questions and those statements becomes uh, about our credit and our recognition. Our service becomes what, what credit we get and what recognition we might get from others as well as from God. And I want to say to you, that's not sacrifice. That's not denying self. That's building our own kingdoms. And it's not actually putting our own true, our true self on. And actually, those kind of questions, those kind of statements only breed pride, selfishness, manipulation, anger, comparison and hurt. Because we don't know ourselves. A 13th century poet, philosopher, scholar and theologian, Rumi, I might have said that wrong, or rum, I'm not sure whether it's Rumi or Rummy, he says, if you are here unfaithfully with us, you're causing terrible damage. If you've opened your loving to God's love, you're helping people you don't know and have never seen. What does it look like to be truly yourself? In the knowledge of who God is and who he has made you to be. And this is where I want to invite us to go a little bit deeper today. So in Luke chapter 2, um, sometime after Jesus has been born, about 12 years after Jesus has been born, we're told that the family go back to Jerusalem to participate in the festival, an annual festival that people travel for miles around. They walk to be a part of this festival at Jerusalem. They bring their, their offerings. They bring their sacrifices. The families all get together. It's a huge festival. The family, um, Mary, Joseph and wider family, leave. <laughs> and after a couple of days travelling, we're told, <laughs> in the Gospel of Luke, someone looks around and says, has anyone seen Jesus? I'm surprised there are more parents that aren't going, well, what? Like, like every time I read that, I go, wait, 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 wait. He's 12 years old and it's taken you two days to realise. Now, that shouldn't be too hard because, I mean, I've seen some kids lift here after a Sunday morning and made some phone calls to various parents. I'm not looking at anyone. I'm not going to look at anyone. So, they, I mean, there's an assumption that people, you know, there was, he was with the family, he'd be safe. And then after a couple of days, they go, ah, we haven't seen or heard from him. Where is he, this 12-year-old boy? They go back, they get back to Jerusalem and they say, Jesus, how could you do this to us? You've disappointed, you know, there's that kind of implied, you've disappointed us, you've let us down. What will people think? We're not caring for you properly. And Jesus says, why were you searching for me? because we're meant to look after you. He asked, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? So here at 12 is this unique relationship where Jesus says, even despite what might be happening 
in my family and the community, I know where I need to be. And I know at whose feet I need to be. In Luke chapter 3, we're told, so that was about 12, so we get uh, a few years on. Uh, we're told or we understand that Jesus is about 30 uh, when he gets baptised. All the people were being baptised. Jesus was baptised too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, at this point, you know, Jesus has already disappointed his Mary and Joseph because he wasn't with them for a few days. But what we're told from that moment is that he grew in favour, or in grace is another word, with uh, man and God. He grew. He continued to grow in relationship from 12 in relationship with God and with man. And so much of it is connected to, I had to be with my father. And yet in this moment, this is before Jesus has conducted any ministry. I mean, we look at a history and we know what Jesus has done. This is before Jesus has gone to the cross. And God, you know, I'd love to know as I've read that again and sat with that again this week because it's such a familiar verse. I would love to know how Jesus experienced and encountered that that sustained him. From 12 to 30. Because there's this gap there. Yeah? And somehow Jesus in such a position, in such grace and in such favour and in such understanding of who he was, that that sustained him. And it released him into ministry. Even the costly ministry. There's this affirmation, love, and assurance. But that's, and that's, we go, well, that's all right. You know, that's Jesus. Remember, Jesus was born into poverty. He's a refugee. He ran for his life. All of that happened for him. Wasn't wealthy in any stretch of the imagination. That's, and then, so just in case we think it's really easy for Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, the devil said to, uh, geez, sorry, Jesus has spent 40 days out in the wilderness. Um, we're told that he's weak, that he's hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a higher place and showed him in, instant, in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. <laughs> he even deceives himself. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Do you hear how the enemy can even over-spiritualize things? How well the enemy can use the scriptures? Now, a couple of things here. I want to highlight this. this. This last statement, 
This is an extra bonus for you today, okay? If you're watching at home. Um, this last statement is an incredibly comforting statement to me. I don't know about you, but there's things, and I've had conversations with people at various times where I think, I should have this worked out. Why do I keep struggling with this? Or this has come up again, or, oh, I thought I was doing well, and all of a sudden, even, G, even the enemy was going to wait for an opportune time before he came back at Jesus. There would be more times where Jesus encountered temptation. It wasn't a once-off, free and easy. A couple of other things. Um, the enemy... Oh, no, let me... Sorry. Um, what are your emotions like when you're hungry? We call it hangry now. Get an oak. Um, I'm glad some people get it. Um, we, we used to have grumpy children. No. We occasionally still have grumpy children. Um, <laughs> once upon a time, we used to be able to say, oh, it's middle afternoon, they're getting a bit cranky, give them something to eat, give them something to drink, or just put them on their bed. You don't have to have a rest, you don't have to have a sleep, just have a rest. Much better. Sometimes we're still like that as adults. And I think, you know, what are your, this is a powerful thing because we're told in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus was hungry. Why does the Gospel writer think it's so important that he includes that detail? Because there's a connection between our physical needs and our emotional needs. Some of these details are really important. And we need to examine what's happening for us physically if there's something happening for us emotionally. And often our emotions will be expressed physically. And there's more and more research and science is coming out now saying the impacts of not dealing with our emotions on our physical bodies. The other thing that highlights here, see this statement in verse 9, if you are the Son of God, the enemy will question, if the enemy will question the identity of Jesus, you better believe he will question your identity in God. If the enemy will question the identity of Jesus, the relationship that Jesus has with the Father, you better believe he's going to question yours. And so we better have the skills and the resources to understand what's going on because that's something that Jesus understood can never be taken away from him. So the temptations of Jesus actually reveals the masks that we wear. So at the surface level, there is I am what I do. Turn this stone into bread. I am what I do. Performance. What can you achieve? What will you achieve? What have you achieved? I am what I have. I will give you all this. What have you got to show for what you have achieved? Our possessions. I am what I own. I am what I have been successful in gathering for myself. Our identity is wrapped up in I am uh, what others think of me, our popularity or position. Throw yourself off and people will, you know, angels will save you because of who you are. I am what I do. I am what I have. I am what others think are all masks 
all surface level kind of emotions, all the temptations that Jesus has experienced, everything of temptation can probably come back to these things. But Jesus gives us an example because he knows his true self and identity in the Father. Hebrews writes it like this in Hebrews chapter 5. Have a listen to the power of this. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard. So he knew the Father could save him. He was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Oh my, this is an incredible witness, an incredible example. See, Jesus was not selfless. He did not live as if only other people counted, but he knew his value and his worth. He had friends. He asked people to join with him, walk with him, help him. He released people to participate in his ministry. At the same time, Jesus was not selfish. He did not live as if nobody else counted. He gave his life out of love for others from a place of loving union with his father. Jesus had a mature, healthy, true self. And in the midst of that, he disappointed people. He disappointed his family. He disappointed religious teachers. He disappointed political leaders, his closest friends and the crowd. And he didn't ignore his emotions to do it. He wrestled with sadness and grief. He wrestled with anger. He allowed it to be expressed. He wrestled with things he didn't want to happen in his life. But he knew himself enough because of who he was in relationship with God. He responded out of his identity and the value and the worth that he had in relationship with Jesus. Pete Scazzaro again says discipleship, that is learning what it is to follow Jesus and walk with Jesus, includes experiencing our feelings, reflecting on our feeling and then thoughtfully responding to our feeling under the lordship of Jesus. The issue is not by any means to blindly follow our feeling, but to acknowledge them as part of the way God communicates to us. And you will say, but Simon, I can't just flick a switch. It just can't all change in an instant. Yes, it can. It can. It doesn't always, but it can. Because God can save us. Right? We've remembered that. We've gathered around the table. We've declared that Jesus is our healer. So it can but we also know there's a, a, there's a battle, there's an enemy at happening. Um, and it often happens when we uh, are frustrated or when things around us are going pear-shaped or not as we imagine. And it's incredibly difficult when we feel weary, when our body is expressing tiredness. But there are moments where you feel familiar emotions. There are moments where you think, I have a choice here. For example, you're at work and your boss is just, you know, he's hit that peak, they've hit that peak again. And you've been here before. Now you've got a choice. You can explode and blow up at your boss like you did last week 
you can withdraw from your boss and then go and talk about your boss like you did last week. Or you can actually stay in that moment and recognise that, oh, hang on, I've been here before. Holy Spirit, what are you teaching me? I, I am valued, I am known, I am seen by you. What does this mean? How do I respond by this? And you know what? It'll be terrifying. It'll scare you. All right, there's an emotion. All right, Jesus, I'm scared. <laughs> You've got to walk with me here. Now, it might not be in that moment, but what if you shifted your mind, be transformed by a renewing of your mind, and actually said, I'm not going to withdraw, I'm not going to blow up, whichever extreme you might be, but actually I'm going to go back to my boss a few minutes later, I'm going to say, hey, you know what? This isn't working. What's happening here? How, what do I need to do? Now, I know there's no guarantees in that. I understand that. But that's the same question in our homes, in our marriages, in our relationship with our children, in our churches. In that moment where you have this sick gut feeling and you're going, oh, I've been here before. Oh, it is what it is. Oh, that's just the way they are. No. Do we believe that God is more for us or not? See, those moments where we recognise something about ourselves could be the moment the Holy Spirit's whispering into us and saying, hey, 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 here's something for you. And what if we were able to start by hearing this? In that moment, hey, I know this is rough right now, but remember, you're my son. You're my daughter. With you, I am well pleased. I love you. When we know this, we can discern what is leading us towards God or away from God. When we know this, we can press deeper into God. So we're being invited by our Creator, our Redeemer and our Saviour to remove the false layers. And man, we need it in our world. So what are some steps? How can we do this? Well, pay attention to your interior silence and solitude. Test yourself over the next few days, over the next few weeks. How much do you have to have the space filled with noise? When you get home from work, what's the first thing you do? When you go to bed at night, what's the last thing you're doing? What's the, you know, and you're on your phones or you're just switching off TV or you're thinking on and allowing the Spirit to think and, and welcome you into His love. What are those quiet moments you can find during the day in those high-pressure moments? Ask people that you trust. Not everyone. Not everyone can, will be the right people for you. Find trusted companions to walk with you. Move out of your comfort zone. Things will be shaky for a while. <laughs> and pray for courage, knowing that the love of God holds you and will carry you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, scholar, theologian, martyr, uh, stood up against Adolf Hitler when many people in the German church or the church full stop throughout the world would not. Uh, he says this, let the person who cannot be alone beware of community. In other words, if you have to be around someone all the time, there's some work that needs to be done. 
And let the person who is not in community beware of being alone. In other words, if community is not important to you, there's some work that needs to be done. We are to be alone together. A community of solitudes. A community of people who are okay with who we are. Who are okay knowing who we are in God. Knowing that we are loved by God. And in this moment, I want to invite us just to stop and finish in the same way that we started. Holy Spirit, come, speak to us, whisper your love. Just close your eyes, open your hands, receive the Holy Spirit, allow him to speak to you in this moment now. Lord, Help me to be still before you. Lead me to a greater vision of who you are. And in so doing, may I see myself. The good, the bad and the ugly. Grant me the courage to follow you. To be faithful in becoming the unique person you have created me to be. I ask you for the Holy Spirit's power. so that I wouldn't copy another person's life or journey. That I would know what it is to put on my true self. In Jesus' name. I just want to invite us, if God is doing something and saying something to you, I want to invite you just to stay and allow the Spirit to minister to you and continue to minister to you. If you need to leave or if you'd just like to go and have a cuppa or catch up with someone, I just want to invite you just to quietly walk out to the foyer, out, walk out to the cafe, grab a cuppa, catch up with someone, continue to encourage and cheer one another on. But I believe God is doing some work in amongst people and I'd encourage us not to rush off, not to fill it up with other things or noise, but to sit with Jesus to sit with Jesus. May you know that you are loved. May you know that God sees you. May you know that he is pleased with you.